knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites. In the corner. He's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp and my co-host is Angela Whitehorn and we have so much to talk about on today's episodes. I'm just going to mention a couple of things and then we're going to jump right in. Uh, I wanted to remind everyone about the Suffering Conference, which is coming up in March, and there'll be a link in our episode notes. And I wanted to let people know that if you are unable to pay, and it's in New Jersey, we've talked about it before, uh, Freehold, New Jersey, if you are unable to pay, we do have some scholarships. And so we don't want money to prevent anyone from coming. So just please let us know. You can contact us through the website. And if you want to sponsor someone to be able to come, you can do that too. So I wanted to mention that. And, you know, I was just talking to a guy this week. You you know, I've talked to people sometimes like um, Pete, who we had on last week, Angela, and some different people. And they're like, they want to start a podcast. And then they say, well, is there too many? And I'm like, no, no, we always need more podcasts. Never have too many podcasts. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I do say, uh, I do say now you should like know what's going to make you different. So I actually have a new podcast with Andrew Rappaport called So You Want to Be a Podcaster. So if you're interested in podcasting, then you should check it out. And Angela, you have a new podcast coming out too. I do. I am uh, starting a new podcast with um, one of our friends, Tony, from uh, Twitter, um, runs the New Geneva Twitter account. And we're starting a podcast called the New Geneva Podcast. And it's going to be Reformed Theology for Men and Women. And it's going to be easy, accessible, bite-sized pieces of Reformed Theology and um, we're going to be listeners to your new podcast about podcasting. <laughs> so I actually, so I just helped another guy a little bit, uh, and his name is James Watkins. And like a long time ago, we had advertised for Grace Alone Witness Apparel. They have uh, just different Christian shirts and whatnot. And so James is actually, he and his wife own that. His wife has been in our group. I'm not sure if she's still in it. They're they're just really neat people. James has just an amazing testimony of the Lord saving him. So he has a new podcast coming out called The Five Solas Podcast. And then we talked last week with Pete, and he's got a new one coming out too. So anyways, lots of new podcasts and not enough time to... I have so many podcasts in my in my podcast attic or Spotify. I listen mm-hmm. to whatever I can on Spotify, but some of my favorites aren't yet on Spotify. And so I'll have a month's podcast attic. And, you know, people will say to me, did you hear this week's whatever podcast? I'm like, I'm behind because there's just too many I like. <laughs> I feel you know? that way too. And I feel like I want to listen to them all. I just need a little closet to close myself into and listen to podcasts all day. It's, it's- <laughs> And you, you can, there it. You can go to christianpodcastcommunity.org, and you can see a bunch of podcasts there. Justin Peters has a new one coming out soon. He's not going to be doing what Justin is kind of known for, 
polemics against like the charismatic movement, he's going to be really kind of digging into scripture. So I know we have gals in our group that I know came out of the charismatic movement because they found Justin's series on YouTube and started watching it. So I thought I would mention that. Well, actually, speaking of charismatic movement, that kind of has to do with what we're going to talk about today. Uh, We got a message on Twitter from a listener. And she said, have you ever done a podcast on like the charismatic movement or cessationism? And I will link in our episode notes early on. We did a podcast called Private Revelations and the Will of God. You know, does God give us private messages, which we said no. And but then we also did one on the work of the Holy Spirit, because sometimes when you say I'm a cessationist, people will say, oh, you just discount the Holy Spirit or you don't think Mm -hmm. that the Holy Spirit. And I actually think that in in Reformed theology that we give even more credit to the Holy Spirit. Mm, So I agree. And I. I remember listening to those episodes myself, um, and they're fantastic. I especially love the one on uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. Great episode. So highly encourage people to go back and take a listen if you haven't to those episodes. But we're going to talk about cessationism tonight. I, I we haven't we have talked about um, bits and pieces of what goes into cessationism at different times, in, including even in our mysticism episode. But we've never really just covered the topic all at once so i'm excited about okay it. i'm gonna put you on the spot angela and then you can tell me colleen you gotta cut that out no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh, i'm gonna pu- i'm gonna put you on the spot so i will say for myself i have always been a cessationist i grew up in a cessationist church uh i went from kind of a typical baptisty evangelical to reform baptisty to Presbyterian. And so that that's kind of my path. But you have had a different path. So yeah, did, did you ever change your view in there, I guess, is the question. Yes. And I, what I would say about that is that my view has matured. And as my understanding has matured, I grew up in in a church where I would say um, uh, cessation or continuation was not clearly taught, really. I would say even it wasn't intentionally um, addressed as a topic. Um, I do believe the church that I grew up in had some uh, some members who were very definitely charismatic and continuationist, and some that were very definitely cessationist. Uh, My parents, my dad in particular, does a lot of reading and studying and was convinced of cessationism. So I didn't grow up with um, tongues or that sort of thing happening in my home, although I do know definitely there were members of my church who did um, believe in tongues and healing and that sort of thing. Um, But because I didn't really have a well-formed understanding for myself on what cessationism is and all of the implications of taking a continuationist position. Um, I was really just sort of agnostic on the topic for myself. And so later um, on in my adult life, um, my husband and I were in a Bible study that did a study one time about spiritual gifts. And I didn't know at the time, again, because I wasn't really familiar with the positions, that this particular um, study, it, it included a test that everyone had to take on what your gift was, and it would pop out and tell you what your gift was. I didn't realize then, of course I do now, that the person who wrote the study and the uh, test itself was coming from a continuationist point of view. So it was assuming that you could come back and get the answer that your spiritual gift is I'm an apostle. Um, Yeah, so we took this test and did this little study, and it was really interesting because I came back with the spiritual gift of word of knowledge, which is when you miraculously know facts and things, um, and there's no other way that you could know what you know, other than just God personally revealed it to you. So I came back with this test telling me that that was my spiritual gift. And I am sort of a a naturally observant person. Um, I have a lot of intuition in my personality. I'm I'm good at sort of predicting, uh, I think this might happen. Um, and, And that is just based really because of natural observation powers, that sort of thing. But again, because I didn't really have a well formed doctrine um, of, you know, what revelation is, that sort of thing that we're going to talk about later. I, um, 
I thought, hey, this is real. I guess I do have this. And so um, years and years later, after even that, we were further involved in a um, group. I'm not going to call it a church now um, because they didn't meet the marks of the church, didn't preach the gospel, didn't administer um, the word and sacraments, and didn't practice church discipline, so not a church. However, we were involved in a group that was very charismatic, and there was visions and revelation and this sort of thing. And so my belief that it was possible that I had this gift sort of played into my willingness to be a part of this group. And over time, things got odd enough and things happened enough that I just believed, no, this is, this cannot, this is not correct. This doesn't match what I see in the scripture. And we did more and more and more studying. And that is when I became convinced of cessationism and a cessationist position. So, you know, we're going to talk about kinds of cessationism, but I am convinced by the word of God that there are no apostles today, that the miraculous sign gifts have ceased. Um, No one has the gift of special words of knowledge like I thought that I had. Um, And so it is actually a very comforting position to me, for me because it makes me know I can trust the Word of God. I don't have to go out searching for other words from the Lord. The Word of God is where I go to see Christ revealed, and um, it has made a big difference for me um, to be confident in my knowledge of the Lord. Yeah, and we're going to get into some of what you just talked about, but let's start real quick and say what we're talking about when we say cessationism, because I've noticed I think especially people that are newer to the discussion, newer to theology, uh, they think that cessationism is, you know, or continuationism is all sorts of things, but it really is something very specific. And what we are talking about is that we do not believe in the apostolic sign gifts, that the apostolic sign gifts have continued. And that is specifically tongues, healing, and prophecy. But that that's really kind of the basic of what of what we're talking about that that though we don't believe that those well let me say it like this that we believe that those things had specific purposes for specific times in the story of redemption that's right and that those reasons no longer exist and also that the canon is closed and some other things we'll get into um but something that is new to me and i'll talk about a couple and then i'll let you talk about a couple i always knew that there was differences among cessationists, okay? Uh, But I didn't really completely know until uh, maybe the last couple of years about the kinds of cessationists. And so we're going to just real quickly go through those. And I actually took this off of monergism because monergism had a good, just basic description. If you've never been on monergism, it's like such a great resource for anything you're looking up. So always look there. The first kind is a concentric cessationist, and they believe that the miraculous gifts have indeed ceased. All of all of these do believe that, um, but they've ceased in the mainstream church and evangelized areas, but appear in unreached areas as an aid to spread the gospel. Now, This, the list that we're going to give right now will attribute these views to certain teachers. I will tell you, I can't verify this for sure. I'm only going off of what was on the website, but um, this particular list says that Luther and Calvin um, held this view, but were somewhat inconsistent. So what this view is, is that yes, those gifts have ceased, but maybe out in mission areas where someone might get the gift of tongues and be able to preach the gospel to somebody or those sorts of things. So I don't know. I've read kind of conflicting things regarding Luther and Calvin. Uh, the second one is a class, classical cessationist. And I think a lot of people that I know fit into this category. In fact, it... Um, attribute this view to Richard Gaffin, who's in the OPC and been a professor at Westminster in Philadelphia. And it also attributes this view to John MacArthur. But the classical cessationists assert that the sign gifts such as prophecy, healing, and speaking in tongues cease with the, with the apostles and finishing and the finishing of the canon of scripture. They only served as launching pads for the spreading of the gospel, as affirmations of God's revelation. However, these cessationists do not believe 
do believe that God still occasionally does miracles today, such as healings or divine guidance, so long as these miracles do not accredit new doctrine or add to the New Testament canon. And we're going to talk about what a miracle is a little bit later. But why don't you talk about the next two kinds, Angela? Sure. Um, The next type of cessationism is known as full cessationism. And full cessationists argue that along with no miraculous gifts, there are also no miracles performed by God today. This argument, obviously, it turns on our understanding of the term miracle. So we are going to talk a little bit later about what we say that a miracle would be. But um, this listing attributed this view to B.B. Warfield, J. Gresham Machen, and F.N. Lee. And I will say that um, Today, for me, it is rare to meet a full cessationist, but they are out there, and I have met them, and I think you probably have too as well, Colleen. Um, The final category is consistent cessationists, and consistent cessationists believe that not only were the miraculous gifts only established um, for the first century church, but that the so-called fivefold ministry in Ephesians 4 was also a transitional institution. So what that would mean is that this uh, this group called consistent cessationists believe that there are no more apostles or prophets, but also that there's no more pastors, teachers, or evangelists. I wonder if that would be something that certain types of dispensationalists, like maybe they think it's for certain dispensations. I'm only thinking out loud right here, but I'm yeah, to I'm wondering too. That. Yeah, I've never met this this type of person that's uh, that says that all of those offices are gone. And I'm kind of just wondering right now if they believe that there's no more pastors or teachers. I wonder what they believe about the church, what what their ecclesiology is. So maybe more about home church where everyone participates or yeah um, it's kind of interesting my little uh (laughs) group that i was just talking about that i would say wasn't really a church that's that's sort of what it was and it was an important distinction that there's no pastor there's no teacher it's all kind of you know knights of the round table everyone's equal but what's very interesting is that in that world that that world pretty strongly proclaims that there are still apostles. So it's very, I'm thinking about this, and it's very interesting. I wonder where these people are that believe that there's no apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, or evangelists. It's interesting. Well, there are um, some Mennonite sects that don't have a pastor. Mm -hmm, I I wonder mm -hmm. if it's similar. I, I have a friend that was associated with that, and I might even ask her about it. I will report back to you in a future episode. Um, So inevitably, when this conversation comes up, and I have seen this more times than I can count, and somebody says, well, I'm a cessationist, I'm a continuationist, someone will come and say, but I believe that God still talks to us today. And what they're talking about is what we talked about in the mysticism episode and in the private revelation episode. What they mean is, I think God gives me little messages like who I'm supposed to marry and what job I'm supposed to take and and this sort of thing. And I think it's so important. To, what happened, I think, with the charismatic movement, and if you read about the history of the charismatic movement, and the, there were a lot of things that were included in the charismatic movement, but we're really not talking about those things. They are separate from cessationism. I would, in fact, argue that some of the emotionalism and uh private messages from God, that actually has more to do with mysticism than miraculous sign gifts. You know, one thing I want to talk about in a minute, Angela, too, since we're talking about these messages from God, and I've told this story on the private revelation episode that I was in, I was actually at a college and they were cessationists, but they believed But there were lots of people there that believed that they got messages from God. There was a few guys that thought that God told them they were supposed to marry me. And these were... These were really good guys. They were studying for the ministry. And so sometimes you'll even see aspects of this in people who say, I don't don't believe that tongues is continued. I don't believe that prophecy is continued. But I think also that the this kind of mysticism God gives me special messages gets confused with prophecy. And I don't think that that's what prophecy looked like. I agree. So that's kind of an important thing to distinguish. If you go and look at examples of prophecy in Scripture, it wasn't God, you know, whispering and 
the ear. It was something that was, and it was also something for the benefit of the whole church. So we'll get into that with prophecy. But inevitably, you will find people that will say, there's nothing about cessationism in the Reformed confessions. And I would disagree. I'm not going to read all of it, but I will point everyone to Westminster Confession 1. I mean, just start there. And I'll just read a part of it. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in and in diverse manners to reveal himself and declare that his will unto his church, and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and the world, to commit the same holy unto writing, which makes the holy scripture to be most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. And that's exactly what it's talking about, it. the the former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people. And we also know from from Westminster, and if you read further down, it becomes very clear we're talking about the canon being closed and what things that we know are the direct word of God and and so on. So I want to go through kind of each of the gifts, but let's talk about what cessationism is and go through why those apostolic sign gifts existed right? and look at each of those gifts. So I'm going to hand it over to you to start on that. <laughs> well, you know, we've already talked about that the basic idea under cessationism is that it's the belief that the apostolic sign gifts have ceased to be given. And we're going to specifically talk about miracles and healings, prophecy and tongues. Um, but because we are talking about the apostolic sign gifts, let's first talk about what apostles actually are. Um, it's important to know what apostles are because we're talking about the specific sign gifts that were signs of an apostle. And the apostle Paul himself used this argument um, when he was being attacked by false so-called super apostles. And he said, have I not performed the signs of an apostle? And, um, you know, how is this a good argument that, hey, I'm an apostle, if everyone in the church is doing these signs? So let's talk about what the apostles were. The apostles saw the risen Christ, so they were eyewitnesses. They were chosen personally by Jesus. And the scripture tells us in Ephesians 2.20 that the church was founded on the apostles, and they're the foundation. And so the very first starting point that we would start with is that there are no more apostles today. We had the 12, and that was the foundation for the church, and you only build a foundation one time. So there are no more new apostles today. And so the sign gifts that go with being an apostle, prophecy, tongues, miracles, and healing, this is why we believe in cessationism that those have ceased is because we no longer have apostles. So we were talking um, – we were talking about Westminster chapter one and about the scripture and about how God's former ways of revealing himself have ceased. So let's talk for just a minute about how that fits in with apostles. You know, that's talking about the idea of revelation and what it is. And I don't mean the book of revelation. I mean, um, in, in Reformed theology, we have a distinction between what's called general revelation and special revelation. So general revelation is just um, the light of nature. It's the revelation that is given to all men that um, shows us that there is a God and that God exists. Um, there is, separate from general revelation, there is special revelation, and that is the way that God communicates the knowledge which is necessary for man's salvation, because general revelation doesn't accomplish that. Um, and so this has not always throughout time been restri restricted to Scripture. If you think about um, in the Old Testament times, they didn't have the New, T New Testament. They didn't have the full canon. The canon wasn't closed. So God has used theophany, dreams, audible voice, prophets throughout history. All of those are special revelation. However, if we carefully examine history, 
we see that this has happened in a progressive way and always with the purpose of more fully revealing God's plan of redemption. So in Reformed theology, we say that the purpose of special revelation is to reveal God's plan of redemption. And so when we think about that, um, we're, we're going to start talking about prophecy, and I guess we're really starting to talk about it already now, but um, when we think about um, these sort of personal private messages and, you know, there are things like, I want you to move to Kentucky, or I want you to go to that college or marry that person, that doesn't really fit with the idea of what special revelation actually is. The purpose of special revelation is to show us God's plan for saving sinners. It's not to direct individuals on the minutiae and the details of their life. Um, and so that, that goes back to what you were saying about it being mysticism versus, um, versus prophecy. One thing you'll find in if you've ever been in charismatic circles, and I have been in them a little bit, is they'll say, well, you have to listen for God's voice. If you read in Scripture, God, when God spoke you know, at the burning bush, they, they weren't standing there, I'm going to concentrate and listen for God to speak. When God spoke, God spoke, and, mm-hmm. you, and you heard him. So one thing that I have found in reading some of the Calvinist continuationists like Wayne Grudem is they will say that, and I don't have an exact quote in front of me, but they will give the idea that, well, this isn't a, this isn't canon that's being spoken. And we need to be really careful. Like, I do believe, they, they do believe in messages from God and prophecy and whatnot, but we need to be really careful on on what we believe and things like that. And and that really bothers me because if the, because the argument that will be used is, um, well, where does it say that the gifts will cease? And I want to say, well, where does it say the gifts will change? That's exactly right. Because um, the burden of proof would be on someone to show that the gifts are going to transform into something lesser and to show that God is now going to speak somehow in a fallible way. And the other thing is, is if you read anything about the history of the charismatic movement, is that a lot of people within the charismatic movement will admit that a lot of these gifts seem to have ceased, but what they will say is that God then poured his spirit back out. So where in scripture does it say that God's going to take his spirit away and then pour it back out? And so there, there's a lot here that is very difficult for me to um that it would be difficult for me to embrace because I would have to embrace a lot of things that I don't think are in scripture. But let's talk about prophecy. Yeah. So why don't you talk about B.B. Warfield, Angela, and his explanation of Revelation? So I was just talking a little bit about the difference between general revelation and special revelation and the purpose of special revelation being to reveal God's plan of salvation to man um, so that we could understand special saving knowledge, not just oh, God exists, Um, you know, Romans tells us we're without excuse because we can see just by nature that God exists, but special saving knowledge requires special revelation. God to tell us specifically the law, tell us you need Christ, tell us Christ died for you, and where we find that is in the Word of God. Well, you know, in older times in history, they didn't have the full Word of God. And so we believe in something called progressive revelation, where over time, God has revealed more and more about uh, the specifics of how Christ comes to the world to save sinners. And so when we think about prophecy, think about an Old Testament prophet. What the prophet's purpose was, was to be God's word to his people. When the prophet spoke, he spoke for God. He said, thus says the Lord. And this was all of uh, the prophecies that were um, going on were to reveal further and further what God is doing to save his people. So, I, you know, I think about um, Deborah and Barak, and Barak wouldn't go into battle without Deborah. And this is not an act of cowardice. It's an act of Barak saying, I won't go without the word of God with me. And that's how the prophets were viewed. This is the word of God in our presence. You think about um, the ark and carrying God. This is how they have the presence of God. And what we have now is the full scripture completed. So um, let's, what this, what 
is important about this distinction and thinking about this is the purpose of revelation and who God chose to speak to um, is very different than thinking that God is speaking individually to all believers throughout all time and whispering in their ear, like mysticism says. This is very, very different. So here's a quote from B.B. Warfield. He wrote a great essay, The Biblical Idea of Revelation. You can find it. Um, we'll link it in the notes, but there, uh, it's a lot of times just abbreviated as Revelation, and it's a very very thorough treatment of the Reformed understanding of what the purpose of God's revelation to us is and how revelation works, how it works, you know, what Scripture is, that sort of thing. But here's here's a little quote. In contrast with his general natural revelation in which all men by virtue of their very nature as men share, this special supernatural revelation was granted at first only to individuals, then progressively to a family, a tribe, a nation, a race, until, when the fullness of time was come, it was made to the possession of the whole world. And that that last little phrase, made to the possession of the whole world, that's the completion of the canon. Now we have the full Bible, and it goes to the whole world. Um, this is this idea is very very different than saying throughout all time God speaks personally to every individual believer and tells them in their ear the details of their life. You know, I have uh, the over at Chorus in the Chaos, which is a blog that I like and I've mentioned before. They put together some quotes from Martin Lloyd Jones. Now, I do want to preface this by saying that there are debates among people whether Martin Lloyd Jones was a continuationist or a cessationist. But I love this quote, and he's talking about. Uh, a prophet here. A prophet was a person to whom truth was imparted to the Holy Spirit. A revelation or message or some insight into truth came to them and filled with the Spirit, and they were able to make utterances which were of benefit and profit to the church. Surely it is clear that this again was temporary and for this good reason that in those early days of the church, there were no New Testament scriptures. The truth had not yet been expounded in written for written words. And then later on he says, again, we must note that often in the history of the church, trouble has arisen because people thought that they were prophets in the New Testament sense and that they had received special revelations of truth. The answer to this is that in view of the New Testament scriptures, there is no need of further truth. That is an absolute proposition. We have all the truth in the New Testament, and we have no need of any further revelations. It goes on from there, but I think that actually brings up another point. So uh, Angela referred to the canon being closed, but the other thing is, is the Word of God sufficient, Mm. or are we waiting for more revelation? Absolutely. I, I think it's very subtle, but it's the truth that when we are seeking after these additional words, these, I just need a fresh word, I need God to tell me, you know, personal guidance. What we are doing is um, communicating a low view of the scripture that we have already been given. We are saying, God, what you gave me, it's not enough. Give me something else. I don't want that. It, it You know, it makes me think about, <laughs> you know, when I'm making lunch for my kids and I make chicken nuggets um, and they say, I don't want this. Can I just have something else? Mommy, make me something else. And it's, you know, as a mom, I'm like, you know, ungrateful. I made you the chicken nuggets. Don't reject what I did for you. And I think that that's what we're doing when we say, you know, what I need from God is just a fresh word. I, th- I think some too about, you know, like um, Sarah Young in her opening to Jesus Calling, that he she loved the Word of God, but she longed for more. And I just think that that is a subtle um, rejection of the gift that God has given us in in His Word, and it's a low view of what the Holy Spirit's work is. The the question is 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 does God's Word have everything necessary for life and godliness for you, or mm. does it not? Are you missing something if you haven't read Jesus Calling by Sarah Young? Mm-hmm. That's like right. because he's got some special messages out there. Because I I would submit to you that if God is giving messages to Sarah Young or to anyone else, and it is the very Word of God, as is the Bible then it should be included. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, I don't think it should be included. But if God is really giving messages, like in Jesus Calling, for 
for the church or for anyone, then I would want to know what those messages are. Absolutely. And I would wonder then, um, you know, if someone says, well, you know, this isn't up to the level of Scripture, I would go back and wonder, how is God speaking in a way that is less than the value of Scripture? Exactly. Exactly. That is, it's either the word of, it is either from God or it is not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if it's from I mean, think about this. Like, do we, I was really thinking about this just this last week. I was uh, talking to my cousin, actually. Actually, let me give a shout out to my cousin. So, hey, David. So, (laughs) he's going to be so mad at me. Um, You know, when you think about the God of the universe who created this world loves me, we're not just talking about this, you know, little grandpa in the sky, but God Mm-hmm. I mean, that is so amazing. And so if these messages are coming from God, who created the world, who sent his son to die on the cross, to live a perfect life, I mean, that then those words should be for everyone, or they aren't. Exactly. So tongues, this is going <laughs> to get us, uh, you know, I think the... I actually just got a message from a gal today. I was talking to her. And she said, aren't tongues real languages? You know, she said, because I know somebody who says they have the gift of tongues, but it sounds like babbling to me. Aren't they supposed to be languages? So, Yes, ma'am. They are supposed to be real languages. Um, We can tell this just from a simple reading of the book of Acts, that um, people heard the gospel in their own language. and this was from a speaker who did had not previously learned that language. And um, so, yes, it's a real language. Um, there's no scriptural warrant for a private prayer language or an angelic language. And um, a lot of times the scripture that's used to support that view is from um, 1 Corinthians. Um, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, well... Um, the scripture there is not saying, hey, let me give you a teaching on what it's like to speak in an angel language. It's giving us a teaching on something completely different. And if you'll notice, it's coming in a passage that's polemical about misuse of the gifts. And so this is um, hyperbolic language. It's kind of like if we said, if I speak with the tongues of men and unicorns, it's something that doesn't exist. We don't talk like that. It's saying even if you could talk this crazy, awesome way, it's worthless without love. And so... um, we do not believe that that passage is intending to teach us on, hey, let's talk in angel language. So we don't believe that there's any scriptural warrant for a private prayer language. Tongues is real languages. And this was taking place during the time when the gospel was going forward to the Gentiles. And this was a sign unto the Jews that the gospel is for the Gentiles too. So um, it was also for rapid expansion of the gospel to be heard and understood by many people in many different languages. And so Part of the purpose for this ceasing is that we don't um, have really that issue anymore. And, you know, going back to those types of cessationism, that concentric one does allow for the idea that there there may be still parts of the world that are out on the frontier that are very remote, where unreached people groups exist, and maybe there is an instance of tongues happening there. And, uh, you know, I think most of us have heard different missionary stories that would say that that has happened. I know you have missionaries in your family, and so do I. And so um, I think what we would say about that and about those types of stories is that those types of stories are not proof of a continuationist position. Those types of stories are not how we prove that churches in the United States of America need tongues going on in their service. Those types of stories are, if they are real, those types of stories are proof that the gospel is still going forward into remote areas and all parts of the world. When I studied uh, several years ago, I kind of studied the history of tongues and 
the the tongues that you see in a lot of charismatic churches is these ecstatic utterances. And a lot of times if you talk to people who've spoken in tongues, it's a very emotional experience. And one thing I learned in kind of studying history is that the Gnostics spoke in that sort of tongues in the early church. Mm, mm. And the Mormons spoke in that sort of tongues in early Mormonism. Yeah. And so there's, and there's other faiths that spoke in those sorts of tongues. There is a great article I'm going to link in the episode notes from the White Horse Inn blog. And it's, it's actually about Calvinistic charismatics, but they had a, a great little quote here. I jotted um, down at Pentecost, the gift of tongues was a spirit given ability to proclaim the gospel in languages that one had not been taught. The diverse crowd of visitors to Jerusalem for the feast asked, and how is it that we hear each of us has each of us in his own native language? Because they were t- that's exactly what was was happening. We should therefore understand tongues as synonymous with natural languages, which some were mir- miraculously gifted to speak and others to interpret. This served not only as a sign that Christ's universal kingdom has dawned, but as a practical way of disseminating the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. None of these gifts was given for the personal edification of believers alone, but for the spread of the gospel and the maturity of the saints in that word. So that that's the other thing is that, that tongues, if you look at uh, when tongues was given, you look at Pentecost, it was given for the spread of the gospel, not personal edification, which it's really become, if you talk to people who speak in tongues, it's really more about personal edification, but we don't get that impression from scripture that that's what tongues was about. Mm, exactly. And, you know, it, that is very clear from scripture, that all of the gifts were given for edification of the church, not for private personal edification. It goes into some of the, I think that what's happened is what we talked about earlier is some of those things that were included with the charismatic movement. It wasn't just the miraculous sign gifts being practiced again, although we would we would say that they weren't actually the miraculous sign gifts being practiced, but it was also an emotionalism and experientialism and, and, and so on. And so let's um, let's talk about miracles and healing. One of the things, and I'll tell a story, and then I'll let Angela talk about miracles for a second. But sometimes when we talk about miracles, so my mother-in-law, she had gotten lymphoma, and which is a type of cancer, and she did all of her chemotherapy, and it went away, and it went into remission. And then she ended up with, she got stage three colon cancer, and they had to do surgery, and they found that the cancer had spread to the lymph nodes. This is not good. And it was, it was you know, kind of like if we do the chemo, then there's a chance that you can go into remission. Well, she'd already been through this other chemo, which was really rough, and she went and did um, one month of the chemo. She was supposed to have seven months of the chemo, and after one month of the chemo, she called us. She said, I can't. I can't do anymore. I'm done. I'm done. I'm not doing any more chemo, and several, about six months later, they did a scan, and all the cancer was gone. Now, in my mind, I kind of want to say, well, we'd been praying, and that was a miracle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, there's a chance that the one month of chemo was enough to kill all the cancer and all those lymph nodes. Uh, so, so we have situations where we're not sure. You know, if you've ever listened to Justin Peters, he thought his cerebral palsy was going to be healed. Now, that would have been a very obvious miracle of his cerebral palsy. I have a son with cerebral palsy. Uh, So, you know, I have some pretty severe chronic health issues. And, and in fact, I'll even share this, I don't share details about it very much. But um, I have something that is called trigeminal neuralgia. And trigeminal neuralgia, it's also called suicide disease, because it is so painful. And it feels like someone's stabbing you in the side of the head and it's um it's horrible and it's episodes so I don't have it all I don't have that all the time well there's been lots of prayers and I don't have many episodes of that anymore and I could say well that's a miracle but 
sometimes it's hard to judge what we're calling a miracle and what we aren't. So mm-hmm. I want you to talk about that, Angela. Sure, sure. I mean, um, you know, I would say, you know, the story of um, the person getting healed from cancer, you know, for my personal self, yeah, I, I would be very drawn to calling that a miracle. Um, I remember when I was growing up at my uh, church, there was a lady who had brain cancer and she had a tumor and they um, were in the beginning stages of sort of working out whether they could even do anything about it. Um, Of course, this was, you know, 25 years ago when I think the technology wasn't quite what it was now. But um, before they got to a point where they would say, you know, this could be operable or not, she went back for another um, x-ray and it was completely gone. And the doctor said, this is a miracle. There was a tumor there and now there's not. Um, and so I do think that we could call those things miracles. But in the realm where we are talking about cessationism, we are specifically talking about a, a kind of miracle that includes human agency. So we wouldn't be talking about a person miraculously being healed from cancer um, through prayer. The Bible does talk about asking the elders to lay hands on you and pray if you're sick, and we certainly do pray for healing and believe that God can and does do that. But when we're talking about miraculous sign gifts, we're talking about God using human agency and give. So we're not even talking about something like the flood. We could even call that a miracle, but God didn't use human agency in that case. Um, for the apostolic sign gifts, God gave someone the gift of being able to say to themselves, I am going to heal you, and then be able to do it at will. That's the kind of healing that we're talking about and miracles that we're talking about that include human agency. And so another distinction that I would make about what's a miracle is um, it's very, very different from what we see from some of the false teachers in Charismania today, like um, a Todd Bentley or a Todd White, where they're out on the street doing, um, you know, leg lengthening tricks and this, you know, healing somebody's back and you might feel a tingling and it might take, um, you know, a few months to get better. Um, miracles in the Bible, when we are talking about the, the apostolic sign gifts, they are immediate they're complete, and they're permanent. Um, full healing right away. You think about Jesus Christ healing um, the blind man by putting dirt on his eyes and spitting into his eyes, and he could see immediately. We never see an example of Scripture of Jesus saying, let me heal you, and it's you know you might feel a tingle, and it might take a month or two. We never hear of somebody coming back saying, yeah, I was healed for a little while, but now I'm not healed anymore. They were immediate, complete, and permanent. Um, and Another thing that I will tell you about the miracles and healing that that we see in the Bible is that those types of miracles and healing are taking place um, in specific periods of time throughout Scripture. It's not, again, it's just like um, um, the uh, prophecy. Um, it's not happening evenly throughout history to all believers that anybody and everybody can heal at all times. It's happening in specific periods of time. Um, We have a period of time where Moses and Joshua are doing miracles. We have a time when Elijah and Elisha are doing miracles. And then the, the greatest period of time when we see miracles in the Scripture is Christ and the apostles. And what's going on during all three of those periods of time is that God is giving new revelation through prophets and then, you know, finally through his son and the apostles. And these miracles and healings are given to human agents to authenticate them as speaking for God. And that's how, again, I said earlier about um, the Apostle Paul using the fact that he is able to perform these miracles and healings. He's using that as an argument to prove, I am an apostle. That only works if these sign gifts are special to the apostles. And so the purpose of these miracles and healings is to authenticate the person doing them as speaking for God so that God's people will hear the message and hear that progressive revelation that reveals more fully that God saves sinners. Yeah, like I said earlier, these um, these gifts had specific purposes at specific times in the story of redemption. And they were ultimately for the benefit of the whole church. You know, so, um, 
And I'm glad that you talked about Angela because I think this is so important. Is we, I absolutely pray that I will be healed. I, I have another condition too that continues to plague my body. And I do pray that the Lord would heal me and he's not. Um, so we do believe that the Lord can and does heal people, but he doesn't use, um, he doesn't bring about new apostles that have the gift of healing to, to go around and heal people, you know? Um, and I will tell you, you might think about Benny Hinn, who, if you've ever watched Christian TV, you'll see him on TV and the people coming. And I know somebody who was dying, who really thought that Benny Hinn was going to heal them and, uh, went to the Benny Hinn crusade or whatever it was called and didn't happen and met somebody there who'd gone to lots of Benny Hinn's crusades and was hoping to be healed and it didn't happen. And so we don't even know some of the stories that we hear if they're verifiable. But one other thing I wanted to say regarding like in my story with my mother-in-law is that we also believe in the providence of God and we believe in the sovereignty of God and that he has specific purposes and plans. And so all of that plays into where we're at with our health and whether um, the cancer clears up or it doesn't. Absolutely. We pray to him for healing because we believe that he is able and does heal still. And that's why we pray for our loved ones that we know that we have cancer. That's why I pray for you, Colleen. And, um, you know, it's why I pray when my kid gets a cold, God um, help, you know, my son get better quickly. It's natural. It makes sense because we do believe that God is capable and still does. You mentioned the anointing with oil for healing. And I wanted to mention there was a post in a Facebook group saying, how come nobody does this? And people came out of the woodwork from Reformed churches and (laughs) said, our church does, our church does. I've had that done even. Mm. And I kind of occurred to me, I think people do it. We just don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, it absolutely is done in Reformed churches. So um, we're going to move right along because of time to objections to cessationism because I have heard all of these and more. So, um, <laughs> so Angela, prophecy is different now. Yeah, we talked that? about that um, a little bit earlier. And, you know, this is a view called transformational continuationism. It's essentially a view that um, what the gifts are now is different than what they used to be. And so um, it's kind of like that that view that prophecy now is when God gives you a word and um, – all the all the parts aspects of what was said need to be tested out, and we have to wait and see. Was that really from God? And all of this. Um, okay, so the first thing that I would say about that is that the um, the uh, discerning of the spirits gift is not about a person who's able to analyze everything that was said and wait and see if it really works out. The discerning of the spirits gift was a. a um, early church gift where a person was able to tell immediately, is this person speaking for God or not? It's very, very different than now saying, well, let's just kind of analyze this and wait and see. Second of all, what we've already said, and I'll say again, is it's the burden of proof is on um, people who say that the gifts have changed into something else to prove that out from Scripture. And I just I don't find the argument compelling because I don't believe that God could ever speak in a way that was fallible. So people that hold that prophecy now is something lesser than it used to be, it can be fallible, it's mixed with man's interpretation. No, the example that we see in the word of a prophet is if they get it wrong once, they're done. They're a false prophet. And so um, I, I would say the burden of proof is show me in the word of God where the gifts have transformed into something lesser, where um, leg lengthening that takes months on end to achieve is now our standard of what a miracle and a healing is. And this idea, and I hear it all the time, and I have friends that listen to this podcast who will say it, but this idea that I'm a cautious continuationist, and what people mean by that is, I'm a continuationist, but I'm careful 
on, you know, I'm, I'm cautious or I don't believe in all the crazy stuff or mm-hmm. they might mean different things. Right. It should be with that same authority. Exactly. And, uh, you know, what I would say about the cautious continuationism um, is that I would be interested to hear what practical way does the caution work out? Because for me, caution is the word of God is sufficient. The word of God, the scripture, that is where God speaks. And practically speaking, the worlds that I have been involved in where God is still speaking is a view that is allowed. Caution is not a part of the equation. <laughs> so um, I, I find the term cautious continuous, continuationist to be a little bit of a misnomer personally. Uh, the other thing is, is I hear people say that they're continuationists because they know of a prophecy that came true. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just tell you something. The night I met my husband, I wrote in my journal, uh, tonight I met the man I'm going to marry. I didn't think God <laughs> gave me a message or anything like that. And I was right. I was right. And so sometimes, I, you know, Angela was talking about how she has a real strong intuition and is very observant. And I am the same way. Like, I I could guess things about people and be right. Mm-hmm, like, I can have, mm-hmm. like, I have a feeling that blah, 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 blah. Just yeah. because I'm observant and, and have a, a, a strong intuition. And so that's just not really reason enough. But there, there may be the occasional time that the Lord brings about something like that. We're, we're not going to deny that. We just don't think that people, we don't think that there's prophets um, mm-hmm. alive today. And then um, in regards to tongues, why do we have these instructions in scripture about tongues if we aren't supposed to follow them? Yeah, man, I was having a conversation with someone who asked this question um, just a few days ago, um, really about, it was about tongues, but you know, about that whole section of scripture, um, giving instructions to the church on how to exercise the gifts. And the question was a genuine one. It wasn't really a debate. The question was, why do we have the instructions in Scripture to the early church on how to exercise the gifts if we're not supposed to be doing this, if they don't exist? And so the answer that I gave was that it's really important for us to to consider the context. And what I mean by that is more than just read the passage before and after. But we need to think of the historical context. So what did the passage mean to the original audience? Who was this passage written to? It was written to an early foundational church during the apostolic time. The canon was not closed. The church was still being built. And it was written directly to them. And we need to be careful that we don't make the mistake of thinking that every word written in Scripture is personally written to me as well. Dear Angela, this is how you should execute tongues in your church in Chicago, Illinois. That's that's really not the way that Scripture and Revelation works, thinking back about what we were talking about Uh, the purpose of Revelation. This is very similar to saying that the purpose of Revelation is not for God to whisper to me, Angela, wear the blue shirt today instead of the red shirt. It's also every word in there is not a personal individual note to me on what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, And so during that period of time, the church was still developing, the canon was still being written, and the gifts were existing to serve their purpose. Um, And so... That's what I would say about why those verses are in there. And to the objection that where is chapter and verse that says the gift cease? I think what you were just talking about fits right into that too. We we look and see why were the gifts there. You pointed out, Angela, um, the times that we saw miracles happen. And, and I will go back to what I've said all throughout this is that those gifts had specific purposes at specific times. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I would also reject the premise that I have to have a chapter and verse that says, Dear Angela, on March 27th, the gifts ceased. Thank you very much. Uh, 
I we reject the premise that we have to have that verse because we believe in something called good and necessary consequence, where we study the whole of Scripture and take it all together and the purpose of Scripture, how it all works together, and we make inferences from Scripture, um, taking all the different passages together. And we do that with other doctrines. That's right. So this isn't anything... This isn't anything new. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the one that I have heard probably the most when people say to me, you put God in a box. And I always say, God puts himself in a box. <laughs> God <laughs> says, this is this is how I work. In fact, I hear that regarding the regulative principle of worship a lot. You put God in a box. And it, it goes back to actually the word of God says, this is who I am. This is how I work. And so that was kind of my answer to that. Absolutely. I- you discount the Holy Spirit. And I think when people say that one, what they mean is you're saying that God couldn't give people the gift of healing now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've even heard charismatics um, in uh, some of the groups that I'm in say, you know, reformed people just don't believe that the Holy Spirit's working anymore, or they will refer to a charismatic church as spirit-filled, distinguishing themselves from us and saying that we aren't. Um, and I guess what I would say about that is that I think reformed Christians have a very high view of what the Holy Spirit is doing and what the Holy Spirit's work is. The Holy Spirit's work is to call sinners. Um, the Holy Spirit's work is to lo- illuminate the Scripture. Without the our view of what the Holy Spirit's work is, we wouldn't have the Scripture. The Holy, Sp- yeah. the Holy Spirit's work is to illuminate the Scripture to us and help us to understand what it means. Um, the Holy Spirit um, seals believers, um, enables us to persevere. Um, we just have a very high view of what the Holy Spirit does, and um, because we believe that He binds His work to certain means, does not b- mean that we believe that He's not working. Ephesians two that the Holy Spirit takes dead men and makes them alive in Christ. Mm, amen. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit sanctifies believers. And I'm going to highly recommend Michael Horton's book, Rediscovering the Holy Spirit, because that was one of my favorite books I read last year, because it is all about the work of the Holy Spirit. But the I think a lot of people today have this very different view of what they think the Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit um, is the focus is just on these experiences Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. emotions. And somebody just told me this last week that I thought that when I had certain emotions, that that was the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. That's what, you know. Right, right. Like Like the view to me is almost like a fancy spirit guide. That the work of the Holy Spirit right. is to give me lots of information on the day-to-day workings of life. And I think we went over this one quite a bit earlier, but um, we don't believe the prophecy today is equal to the canon. And so therefore, your argument about the canon being closed doesn't matter. Mm, yes. And, you know, what we've already said is I would like, I, I would wonder in what way could God speak that would not be included in the canon? If God speaks, I want to know about it. <laughs> right. I, I want to know what he's saying. So we've gone, we've gone pretty long. I wanted to go, I, I had hoped to go a little bit into the work of the Holy Spirit. I'll point you back to our episode we did before on that. And maybe we'll do an episode again in the future and just talk, just kind of dig in a little bit more to the work of the Holy Spirit, because it it reminds me of our episode recently on worship, where a lot of wrong understandings about what worship is. Mm. I think there's a lot of wrong understandings about what the Holy Spirit's role is in our lives. Absolutely. So, wow, we fit a lot into this and even went maybe a tiny bit long, but such, and we could have even said more, but such a fascinating uh, subject. And I have a lot of resources I'm going to put in the episode notes. There is a website, cessationism.com, and it's got resources from all sorts of people, 
from you know Presbyterians and Reformed to John MacArthur. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with John MacArthur's Strange Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that Strange Fire, even though we disagree with John MacArthur on some things, I will say he has a lot of great stuff on the history of the charismatic movement Mm, that's very fascinating and the other thing is is that some of it in my research and you'd brought up bb warfield and he's actually one of one of the people that in church history was fighting against some of these same things Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to plug as well, you know, you just mentioned John MacArthur's Strange Fire, and that's the more recent work of his. But I also have um, an older work of his. It was written in 1992. It's Charismatic Chaos. I highly recommend this book. Um, it's It gives a very comprehensive view of what miracles are, what the purpose of revelation is, what apostles are, just all of these basic underlying doctrines of understanding all of those parts and pieces, and it really makes the whole view come together. still have that book on my bookshelf, (laughs) actually. It's a good one. I stole it from my dad. (laughs) So, well, we appreciate you all joining us. I hope that this was helpful. Definitely check out the episode notes. Uh, I didn't even read anything from R. Scott Clark, I don't think, on this episode, (laughs) but he has... Um, a series on the Holy Spirit that I will link in the episode notes. And he actually has a couple, he has an article about whether you can be uh, reformed and charismatic. That's, I don't remember the exact title, but read that also because I would submit to you that you cannot be reformed and charismatic. Mm -hmm. So, well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week.